We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 78 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. We've got a packed show for you guys today. We're talking men's basketball, 3-0 and start in SEC play. Also, some news and notes with coaching as Thomas Brown is named the Gamecocks running backs coach. Some rumblings about the defensive line coach as well. The new facilities, uh, some logo talk, your listener questions, and a very, very exciting interview I know that you guys are going to love with now former Gamecocks quarterback Michael Skarnecchia as soon as last year, the Missouri hero that we all know about. We had a great conversation with him, a lot of insight on his career, lack of playing time, things of that nature. I think things you guys are all going to really enjoy, so stick around for that interview with Michael Skarnecchia. Before we get into all that, Tom, we have got a new presenting sponsor that I am very jacked about, and let's talk some NFL. The NFL playoffs have advanced to the conference championship games. We've got your Tom Brady, your Tom Brady's Patriots against Patrick Mahomes' Chiefs, and Drew Brees' Saints against Jared Goff's Rams. ESPN's actually called it, Tom, the most exciting NFL Final Four ever. Mm. And with our friends over at MyBookie, bets are flooding in. You can capitalize on some of the smallest point spreads you'll ever find for AFC and NFC championship games. I think they're both sitting right now at about three points. It's a classic old-school versus new-school battle on both sides of the bracket to see which teams will meet in Super Bowl 53 in Atlanta. Whether or not you're a fan of one of these teams, Tom, you're obviously a fan of the Patriots. I'm not a fan of any of them, but you're going to have a blast watching no matter what if you go over to our friends at MyBookie and bet on the games. MyBookie's also planning on some of the craziest Super Bowl prop bets you've ever seen. I know that we all love betting on things like the timing of the national anthem, things of that nature, what color the Gatorade's going to be. They're planning on making so many prop bets you know that some of them are sure to be easy money. So if you're not a MyBookie customer yet, I love MyBookie. They're the only sports gaming book that I'm using. Go to MyBookie.ag. Make sure to sign up and deposit before this weekend's games, the AFC and NFC Championship games coming up on Sunday. MyBookie is actually offering a 50% sign-up bonus for any new customer who deposits with our promo code, which is SPURSUP, S-P-U-R-S-U-P. Again, that is promo code SPURSUP. So, for example, if you deposit $1,000, they're going to give you an additional $500 to play with. I'm not sure how MyBookie is still in business at this point, giving out promo codes like that. Again, that's MyBookie.ag. Use the promo code SPURSUP. And remember, at MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. All right, working? let's get into it. Kind of work here.
right, I'm Chris Phillips. He's Thomas Floyd. Tom, I must say that was a pretty solid ad read by myself. I told you it was electric, and I know you're already fired up for the AFC Championship, and I'm sure that only gets it going. So, Tom, I'll ask, and I already know the answer. How was your weekend? Because I know your, your Patriots are headed to the AFC Championship, even when everybody thought they sucked. As Tom Brady says, they're headed to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs. So, I'll ask again, how was your weekend? I mean, anything except – amazing and wonderful would be words that you know I I don't know what I'm trying to say other than like I'm ready to run through a wall after especially after the video that Brady posted before they before the AFC <laughs> divisional game I and mean didn't he just man, didn't he just post another one as well with I mean, uh, maybe so I'm gonna go watch it I and get a heart on real quick but um <laughs> dude I'm so ready for the AFC championship we're going to beat the Chiefs by 50. If you're betting with my bookie, hammer the over. Or no, actually, I'll take it back. Hammer the under because there's that snowstorm coming in. And then hammer the Patriots plus three. You do that, Patriots you'll win a, a bunch of money. Dog. <laughs> yeah. Can you believe it? I mean, oh. I don't know how, considering Brady's going to beat the brains out of the Chiefs and playoff Andy Reid has to come back sometime. But, I mean, we're going back to the Super Bowl. And after we lost to the, the Miami Dolphins on the Miami Miracle, I thought we wouldn't even make the playoffs. So, it's been a long way, long season for me, but um, at least I'm not a Panthers fan. So you're, yeah, whatever. Take the Panther shots. So you're you're pretty confident heading this weekend with Kansas City. No worries from you. I'm only confident because of the snowstorm stuff. Like if that wasn't going on, then I would be <laughs> like, we're gonna beat by, we're gonna get beat by like 40 points. How about this? I saw a stat before we came on. Tom Brady is 10 and 0 against quarterbacks making their first postseason appearance. I mean, it's just like setting up for another Patriot Super Bowl. It's setting up for another Patriot Super Bowl. Um, I mean, all right. yeah, and we're going to go and play the Saints going to be about 40, and it's going to suck. But anyway, <sighs> I mean, my favorite thing, though, I don't know if Jackson Raymer is listening to this, but he's a good friend of mine. He works for Inside the Caters. But um, he's an Atlanta Falcons fan, so obviously I give him crap about 28-3. But – there, there is a Super Bowl scenario where if the Saints win and the Patriots win, there will be a Patriots-Saints Super Bowl played in the new Mercedes-Benz Dome in Atlanta. Yeah, I was going to say my best friend is actually a Falcons fan and a season ticket holder. And he Ooh. was talking to me after the game Sunday night about how that's basically his nightmare scenario. So, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I, I could, and I could definitely see it happening. That's the worst part. I almost I almost want to get on my bookie now that we've got – and I want to say I'm very, very excited to have my bookie uh, as a sponsor of the Spurs Up show, a lot of you guys that were listening to us back in the armchair days, you'll remember that MyBookie was a sponsor with us for a while. So we're excited, very, very excited to get those guys back on because with all the stuff we do with the, the whole best bet segments, I know a ton of you have DM'd me before for the promo codes. I know we have some degenerate gamblers listening to this podcast. So thank you. Um, but anyways, yeah, it, it tempts me to go to MyBookie and honestly do a parlay with Patriots money line and Saints money line because it feels like like that would be the most Atlanta thing in the world. Like That would be the most Georgia sports thing ever or Atlanta Falcons thing ever for it to be Saints Patriots because I asked my buddy, I'm like, who, are you, who do you – like what do you hope for if, if, if it's Saints Patriots? He's like, I honestly hope the stadium collapses. And I'm like, you just built the stadium. He's like, I don't care. We'll build another one. I'd just rather the stadium collapse. And I, and, I, and I actually told him, I was like, listen, I, I mean, it might not be Saints-Patriots, but I would put down good money that both those teams don't lose Sunday. I, I would yeah, put down I mean, very – one of those two teams is going to win. Like, there's almost no – Tom Brady's Super Bowl would be, like, one of the best of all time. 
Yeah, no, it. I mean, listen, and this is NFL talk with the Spurs Up show, by the way. So t- tune out for the next like two minutes if you want. We won't wait for the college stuff. But no, I mean, the great thing about the NFL playoffs right now is that I feel like they really do have the four best teams left, and that I mean, I'm. You know me, Tom. I'm really not a big NFL guy, but, like, I am excited for the AFC and NFC championship games. I'll be excited yeah, for I mean, the Super Bowl be because games. those are all great games. And I, yeah. I'll i be extremely disappointed if either one of those games Sunday is a blowout. Like, I think – Unless you're like, bro, did you games. see this thing where Rob Parker last week ranked his, like, eight best – he went on the herd and ranked his eight best teams left in the playoffs. The man had the Chargers as the best team in the playoffs, and guess who he had as dead last? Patriots. Yep. Guess who won that game, bro? Yeah, no. Patriots stomp. That, that was ugly. Patriots stomp. Stomp. That, that, yeah, that wasn't even competitive. It just wasn't even shout competitive. Out to, shout out to our friend on the on the show who's a Titans fan. I can't remember your name. I'm sorry, but I'll see you next year, I guess, in the playoffs. <laughs> Dude, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, when they get in the playoffs, they just step it up to a whole nother level. I, I Like, it almost makes it hard to believe for me that anybody doubted them. Without, but before we get off the NFL, we have to give our condolences to Alshon Jeffrey. We still love you, Alshon. Obviously, I'm not an Eagles fan, so I'm not really that upset about it. But condolences to Alshon because that was pretty brutal. That was that was brutal. I'm not gonna lie. That that was that was right in the breadbasket, right in the hands, and it sure enough went right off his hands and was picked off. So I know well, Game Talk Nation the, behind him, but without him, I'm just saying without him though, like they're not in that game. Right. No, he had a monster game. I'm just saying, I know that that was tough. I mean, you saw him laying on the ground face first for like a, what felt like a solid five minutes. I mean, but anyways, condolences to Alshon. Alshon, Gamecock Nation's behind you. No worries about it. Last thing I'm going to say, though, Tom, what's so funny to me about the Patriots in this whole ordeal is that after the Miami Miracle and then you lose the Steelers, it's just crazy to me how everyone was talking, the dynasty is dead, the Patriots suck, all this. The Patriots still ended up getting the two seed and getting a bye. Like, for most teams, for, that's a great year. Right. That's a great and year. It, and if it wasn't for that bullcrap Miami Miracle game, we're literally one the seed. number one seed. In the and Chiefs then there's no us. doubt who's winning Sunday. Yeah, we're, we're going to that no doubt. Uh, Super Bowl. And, and this is the worst, and I know most of you aren't NFL fans probably, but literally I've been watching the Pats for close to 10 years, and this is the worst overall roster we've had in t- in the last 10 years, and this team's about to go to the Super Bowl or has a pretty good chance to go to the Super Bowl. I just don't get I mean, it's literally just Brady and Belichick, but it, we can just move on. It's fine. What, what I want to happen, and I partially think well, – like, I think the Chiefs are for real. Like, I really think I the Chiefs are for real. But in my head, I'm like, think with your head. I think it's going to be Patriots – and Saints. I actually think the Saints will beat the Patriots. I think Drew Brees will win the Super Bowl and ride off. I do too. I mean, if you think about it, the the Chiefs, not the Chiefs, the Saints have a way better overall roster. But Brees, you never know. Brees, but we never know. I mean, Belichick is Brady, Brady, though, right? I mean, you like know. you can't. Bet, it's hard to bet against Brady. It just. I will say, like the Saints feel like the team of destiny this season. That's all I'm saying. That, that's the only yeah. reason I pick them to win. The only reason I would pick the Pats in this game is. The last three, the last three times we played in the Super Bowl, obviously against the Seahawks and the the Eagles and the um, Falcons. In all three of those games, I don't think we had anybody rush for like more than fifty yards. Between Sony Michelle and Rex Burkhead and James White, like we're gonna put one fifty on whoever we run, whoever we play against. Like it doesn't matter. That's, I mean, it's it's really just how it is at this point. I think that's what's helped Brady so much this year is like having a running game because in the years before this, like he was having a throw for. 
5,000 – close to 5,000 yards because he had no other option. But this year, like, his numbers are down just because, like, Sony Michelle's been having a ridiculous year. Yeah. All right. That was NFL Talk with the Spurs Up show. <laughs> um, sure, I love that. We're going to get into a new segment. I don't know if it'll be the, for this week or if it's going to stick, but Tom recommended it and I liked it. Our spin zone of the week, maybe something that was – I'm sure you all know what a spin zone is. We see a lot of them on social media all the time. Um, so, Tom, since it's your segment, I want to start with you. What's your spin zone of the week? Well, it really isn't this week. But my spin zone of the week is that since South Carolina played Clemson a lot better and a lot closer than Alabama did, when Alabama comes to Williams-Brice next year, we're beating them by 14. We're going to win 35-21 like it was in 2009, 2010. 2010. And we're, we're going to put it on them. And that's just all I got to say about that. Yeah, no, I, I the transitive property in college football, there really is nothing better. Um, my and it's spin, between two different seasons. Yeah, yeah, even even better. Uh, my spin zone of the week is for those of you that have followed us for a long time and followed me for a long time, you know that I've been nothing but positive when it comes to Frank Martin. I've never said a bad word about him. Um, that is a lie. My spin zone of the week is that because of all the shit that we all talked about Frank Martin and specifically me. That motivated him. That motivated him to coach better, and that's why the team is three and zero. Because he's a big Twitter guy. So, oh, he's super. He actually kind of is big on Twitter, though. Like Frank Martin's a lot more interactive than say Will. He's, on the, he's on the tweets. He, hey, he, he's he's act, not he afraid to call somebody out on Twitter. Dude. Yeah, he, he, I've seen him get into it with the kid before. Like some kid from I think he went to PC on something. And Frank Martin was like, "Why don't you play like a minute of college basketball and get back to me or something like that?" He roasted this kid like terribly after he said something to Frank Martin. But anyway, yeah, I mean he he's a lot. I think he's a lot more interactive probably in the off season, which would make sense. But Frank Martin's a, he's a solid solid follow. He's a solid follow on Twitter. Yeah, so I'm, sh- I'm shocked he hasn't blocked me yet. Um, all right, and that kind of segues into we want to start with the men's basketball team because obviously the Gamecocks right now sitting at three and zero in SEC play. Um, their last win on Sunday over Missouri game that was pushed back today due to some weather issues for the Tigers. But Gamecocks get the win, 3-0 overall. Um, Tom, I don't know that there's any – you could have almost bet me any amount of money. that If you would have bet me and said South Carolina is going to be 3-0 after SEC play, I would have said bet, name the number and I'll take the bet. And the Gamecocks have, you know, after that huge opening SEC win against Florida, they've sort of rode the momentum and they're playing much better basketball. I feel like they look a lot more confident. Chris Silva has kind of finally become himself again. I thought he had a really good game Sunday against Mizzou. Um, Hassani Gravit, I think, is – I think what's really benefiting him, he's in a much better role. I talked about this on the Daily Crow on Monday. I think he's in a much better role. I think Trey Campbell has kind of become that, that leader at the point guard position. And then, you know, we talked about before that, South Carolina has a ton of young guys, a ton of youngsters that have a ton of talent, but they're going to need help from the veterans and Mike Coatsar, Chris Silva, Hassani Gravin. And those guys, I think, have been playing, honestly, their best back- basketball of their USC careers since they got into conference play. What's been your take, Tom, on th- just this hot start for South Carolina basketball? I mean, like you said, I didn't. I never would expect this in a million years. If you have eyes and you've been watching the games, you could see one thing, and it's that Mike Coatsar is playing some of the best, best basketball of his life. I mean, he's usually a guy who seems to disappear in almost every game, but I, I can't remember his exact averages, but it almost seemed like he was averaging like 12 or 13 in like eight every game in the SEC play. And if you can get that out of Mike Kotar every game and continue that for the rest of the season, then we're probably going to do pretty well and end up making the tournament somehow. Did you see where we had six votes in the AP Top 25? 
I did. I did Bro, see that. I, that I, is I mean, insane. the way South Carolina's looked, how can you really deny it? I mean, everything is meshing for South Carolina right now. And the craziest part is you look ahead of the schedule. Obviously, we're recording this on um, on Tuesday night, the 15th. South Carolina travels to Nashville to take on Vanderbilt, a Vandy team that is 0-3 in conference play. And, I mean, you can look at that one of two ways. I mean, it can go both ways. You could say, well, they're 0-3, so they're not very good. In South Carolina, you would expect to get the win. Or you could say Vanderbilt's 0-3 on their home floor. They're desperate. They're going to come out, I mean, throw everything at you. And it could be, you know, I don't want to call it a trap game because I'm not sure. You know, it's just, I don't want to say trap game because I don't think South Carolina has necessarily earned the right to say any any game's a trap game. But could be a much tougher game than maybe the records would show. But, I mean, there's a decent chance South Carolina's 4-0 in league play after tomorrow night. So, I mean, like I said, I just think with Chris Silva finally getting his head out of his ass and really just playing to his potential – the game Mike Coatsar had against Mississippi State, I mean, I would have never seen that coming in a million years, the way he looked. Um, I'll tell you, man, Tom, the freshman that really excites me and gets me going is Keyshawn Bryant. That dude is a freak. Right, he can jump out the gym. I mean, I, I, the best tweet I saw over the weekend was somebody said that one of these days Keyshawn Bryant is going to throw down a dunk that basically tears down Colonial Life Arena. I mean, every, every time he goes to the rim – it is with a he with a bad attitude. It's with a yeah. vengeance when he goes to slam the ball. So, I mean, I, I just I don't know. I mean, it's like I said, it's crazy to think. I mean, South Carolina again three and zero in SEC play. They'll probably be favored tomorrow. I mean, that, that's the craziest part. It's it's just wild to think how differently this team looks in the beginning of the season. I mean, this is the same team that lost to Augusta in a scrimmage. The same team that lost to Stony Brook. Bro, we lost to Wofford by twenty. That lost to Waff to lost to Wyoming. I mean, it, it's honestly it's hard to believe, but I think what you're seeing, especially after that Florida game, because if you remember, I expected South Carolina to play Florida tough. I didn't think they'd get the win, but I thought just in conference play, there'd be kind of a new spark of energy and new, new spark of emotion. South Carolina play tough. I think getting that win though has given these guys almost like a newfound confidence and. To me, it's just – it's really showing. I mean, these guys are playing with a lot of confidence. Again, a guy like Asani Gravitz playing with confidence. Chris Silva's back. Mike Kotar looks as good as he's ever done. And these freshmen, Keyshawn Bryant, A.J. Lawson, Alonzo Frank, they're getting better and better and better every single game. So, I will say, as critical as I've been of Frank Martin and everything that went on this season and seasons prior, you got to tip your cap to the guy, him and his coaching staff. Just keeping those kids positive, nothing else. I mean, because they could have easily – come into SEC play heads down, gotten stomped by Florida, and, you know, the season would have went the direction it would have went. But overall, just really uh, a really good job by them, by Frank Martin, that whole staff. I will say, Tom, probably the funniest thing, one of the funnier tweets I've ever put out, I put out on Sunday, um, and you probably saw it, was the one where I said, can you believe there were actually people that doubted Frank Martin, like basically saying, how dare they? And I, and, and I, I replied, I was like, waiting for the people that don't understand, this is sarcasm in three, two, one. South Carolina fans, I want to commend you because nobody freaked out over that tweet, and I was honestly shocked because I'm like, somebody's going to take this the wrong way. Like, somebody's going to not understand the joke. So, thank you for that. Well, but, that's what happens when you have a bunch of idiots. Yeah, but. yeah, it, be, because we all know Twitter is the place for, ra- you know, rational thought. Twitter has the highest IQ score yeah. per user. Right, right, user exactly. Media. But, yeah, I mean, overall, men's basketball, 3-0 in SEC play. Honestly, Tom, at this point, I don't really know what it means for – South Carolina's postseason opportunities, I mean, I, they were so bad in non-conference play. Like, I don't really know. I think we need to see more, obviously. We, we're going to need to see. Yeah. Can South Carolina can, 
sustain this. I, I really right. – I hate to be the Debbie Downer, but I really feel like South Carolina is going to drop one of their next two. I just think what goes up must come down, right? You're I never mean, – things aren't as good as they seem. Things aren't ever as bad as they seem. Like, I just – trying to be realistic. And maybe I'm just not trying to get my hopes too high because it seems unfathomable for South Carolina to keep playing at this level they're playing at. I mean, my thing is, like, they go lose to Vanderbilt, and then we're going to be on here next week being like, fire Frank Martin. <laughs> I mean, we're not going to do that, but, like, I, that's I really, something. I really want to believe that Frank Martin has completely turned me around. That's what I want to say. I, that's Maybe that's my 2019 New Year's resolution. I will not call out Frank Martin in that way again this season. So You should have, like, the – you should have to do that thing where you write on, like, a huge – Drag yeah, race right. like yeah. I will not say Frank Martin is a bad coach. I will not say oh, Frank Martin is a bad coach. I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> you, have to, you have to write it at least like a thousand times. I should I should just tweet it a hundred times. <laughs> yeah, or do that. Or hey, I should just I should tweet it. I should tweet the sentence. I will not say Frank Martin is a bad coach as many times as I can in 280 characters, and then copy and paste that and put like 10 tweets in a row. That would actually be pretty funny. I may good. do that when we get off this podcast. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Um, All right. Let's, let's move into some football. Um, obviously, over the last week, Thomas Brown, as we, uh, you know, as we thought, named running backs coach. Tom, just give me some quick thoughts on the hire. Obviously, a guy that played running back at the University of Georgia was at Miami previously as the co-offensive coordinator and running backs coach. Obviously, when he was with Georgia, played with some really, really good ones, has coached some really good ones. Um, what's your overall thoughts on that hire on the Thomas Brown? I mean, I, I like it. I think he's a good recruiter from, you know, seeing – from seeing guys he's been attributed to recruiting, uh, he absolutely blasted everybody at the um, – after the basketball game. He didn't blast everybody, but he basically was like, yeah, we've underperformed. It just kind of sucks. So we're going to fix it is, what he, is basically what he said. I mean, it was hilarious. I loved it. I loved it. Love. He's very honest and straightforward, and I can really appreciate that in a coach. Like that's something that I would. That's a guy. He's a guy I'd like to play for if I was a, if I was a player. Well, you know, you know why I love it because the running game was not going to get better doing the same thing. Like no, something's got to change. Like I, I mean, I, I just think that's the that's the biggest reason why he was brought on. He was brought on to fix the running game, and in the meantime, bring in a big time running back. I mean, well, I think that he kind of – I think – I don't want to say, like, spins on, like, Muschamp does all, but, like, I think Muschamp just kind of got to the point where he understood, like, if Helensky has to go through the same thing and we have to turn to an air raid offense, we're not going to have a good football – pretty good – we're not going to win the SEC in an air raid offense. Like, it's just not going to happen. So, I think it just kind of hit him, like, we've got to be able to run the ball and pound it out people's throats. And if bringing in a new running backs coach is what it takes, and that's what we're going to have to do. And it just happened. It just – the stars lined up for him, basically, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you, you can you can win seven, eight games just throwing the ball 40 times a game, but great teams can run the football. I mean, look at the national championship this season. Look at, you know, the, the SEC this season. The teams that are elite can run the football, period, point blank. And I, I think that – I will say I'm – I think as a Gamecock fan, you have to be extremely excited about the hire. I know I'm very giddy about the hire. I think – just having someone bring a new mindset, a new mentality, it really sounds like to me, Tom, and this is something I talked about after the season ended, that one of the bigger priorities of this offseason and this spring practice and going into 2019 was finding a true number one back. Again, it, you're not going to find – you're probably not going to find Marcus Lattimore out of this group of guys that you have, but <clears throat> finding a guy, a true number one back that you trust to get the job done on third and one, fourth and short, stuff like that because this whole running back by committee thing and trying to shuffle guys in and out and 
it's counter it's been counterproductive I mean obviously look at the numbers so I'm very very excited to the just the new mentality Thomas Brown's gonna bring obviously I'm excited for the recruiting I think he's gonna be able to recruit the state of Georgia very well um I'm thinking they that he said I believe he said, Tom, he's going to be focusing on Atlanta. So Yeah, he's from – I think he went to Tucker. I feel like I read that somewhere. And, I mean, I'm just excited. I'm And like you said, um, I was just going to do – you said something about how, you know, they've been underproductive. Like he said earlier, like he alluded to, but I was just going to say, you know, I don't care if it's a freshman and they start playing Kevin Harris or Levante Valentine or whoever, or Deshaun Fenwick, like I don't care how old he is. I don't care if feelings get hurt. You put the best running back on the field, and I think that's what he's going to do. Yeah, no, I, and I, I definitely think that's what he's going to do as well. And, I, you know, I pose this question to a couple people. What do you think the odds are that – because you've got three seniors coming back, really four if you counted A.J. Turner, but I think he's sticking on the defensive side. But you think you've got Rico Dowdle, Tyson Williams, and Mon Benson. What are the odds that at least one of those three transfers if, say, a Deshaun Fenwick is named the starter? Do you think there's any possibility? I think that one of them transfers coming out of spring. I think the writing will be on the wall for at least one of them at, coming out of spring practice. Like, in a, and if they don't transfer, I mean, props to them for being you know committed to the school and everything. But if I was them, and I know I'm third or fourth string, and going into the next season, knowing that there's really not much of a chance for me to play unless something drastic happens, I mean, I I'd, I'd transfer. I mean, I, don't, I would never blame them to just graduate and transfer. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying it's gonna happen. You know, I, I'm really not saying it's gonna happen. It's just kind of me just me just talking. Like, but I know a guy like again, like a Tyson Williams. He's graduated. He could transfer with no penalty, like you're saying. Yeah. After the spring, he could transfer with no penalty. And I mean, I feel like if a guy like Tyson Williams, I mean, if he's the third string running back and Deshaun Fenwick is a sophomore, let's just say as the starter, and then Rico is a second. Like, why would Tyson stick around? Like, I just, you know yeah, what I mean? Like, I, I just don't see the point really. So I. I just won't be surprised if we see a running back or two transfer, to be completely honest with you. Yeah, but, I mean, again, I, very, very I'm excited like, about the hire. Again, I think Thomas Brown is going to do wonders in recruiting. He's going to do wonders for the Gamecocks backfield for the running back room specifically, and I think really going to change. I think it's going to have an immediate impact. I think we're going to see and feel the results in 2019. Um, not much to talk about with the defensive line coach hiring. Obviously, we, we, were, we actually reported, Tom, we reported last week that Lance Thompson was out in for sure. Um, we reported that right now, the names that we're hearing, um, Dyron Reynolds, Marion Hobby, those are just two guys that I've heard through the grapevine. I think that's, there's, there's been other guys like Travis Jones and, um, I can't think of the other name I just had on the tip of my tongue, but uh, there's been a bunch of names tossed around. Basically, we have no idea who they're going to hire, but I, I think Marion Hobby and Dyron Reynolds, we'll talk about them just a second, Tom. I mean, I think overall Hobby, the old Clemson defensive line coach that's been in the NFL, both guys have a ton of NFL experience. Um, and I mean, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you, Tom, and say, I, I know their backgrounds in and out, but I think overall, both guys that are, you know, have a solid body of work and could come into South Carolina and make a positive impact without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, either way, I'm, I'm pretty happy and excited about the hire. Obviously, like you said, Hobby's a great recruiter. And I think the Reynolds guy will be too. I think either of them are solid guys that could come in and do well, but the only thing I would say with Hobby is that he's going to be a guy that could jump to the NFL in like a year, and I think Reynolds will be more committed to the university. So, in my opinion, I'd rather have Reynolds come on, but, that, I mean, that's just me, and he, I think like he's done a good job at Stanford and the other places he's been at too. But if it was me and I had a choice, it would be Reynolds. But, obviously, Hobby has more of like a, I would say, established – I'm trying to think of the word. Like, he probably would be more – more. I mean, he's more of an established coach, and I think he would be more of a respected guy. He knows the area really well, like you said, from recruiting at Clemson and everything. 
He's put some really good names at Clemson. I, I can't remember the exact – I think Cleveland Farrell was one of his recruits, or maybe also Wright Wands, he was one of his. He's yeah, because like, he, he was there until 2016, I think. And um, he what's the guy – what's those. the name of the kid who um replaced Trevor Lawrence? Albert Huggins? Yeah, he recruited him too. So, the guy obviously has a, a nose for talent. So, I mean, I'm pretty I'm pretty ecstatic either way because I think both of them bring unique things to the table and very good things to the table. Yeah, I, I think the bottom line is for that. Again, we don't we we really don't know at this point who's going to get the uh, get the job. I, I would expect that news to come almost any day now. But I think no matter what, South Carolina is going to get an upgrade at that position at, at that position, yeah, coach. No um, other than that, let's you want to talk about the new facility? Obviously, uh, staff moved in a week ago. Players moved in this past Sunday. We've seen some of the video. Tom, what's your uh, you know, hopefully, if anyone that is listening to this that is on the staff that has any connections that can get the Spurs Up show in the new facility, we would genuinely appreciate it. I just want to see it. I, I don't. I promise I won't touch anything. I just literally just want to see it. No, I'm gonna like run around and like put up 450 on the bench press and be like, let's do. You know this. what? Actually, you're right. We're gonna go in the DJ booth and record the Spurs Up show in there. So if we can get yeah. that set up, that actually that's kind of my dream now. I I just made that decision. Um, but, no, from the new facility, all the videos, Justin King actually put out a video tonight of uh, some drone footage of the weight room because it's so huge. But, overall, what's uh, what's your early impression from what we saw from the the videos of the new facility? I mean, bro, like, it's a game changer. I don't know if you saw this, but Nick Fitzgerald, like, literally quotes what it was like, that's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. Or something of that area, just commenting <laughs> on it. I mean, if a quarterback in the SEC that doesn't play for your school is commenting on it, has to be doing something right. I mean, the entrance to it, when it has the big block C, the game cock on, I mean, it's just beautiful. I love every part of it. I wish I could go into it. I mean, my tuition goes towards it, so I wish I could, you know, get to use it, but that's <laughs> obviously not an option. But, I mean, it's it's definitely sweet, and it's, it's a game changer. I don't think there's no, any other way to put it. Yeah, no, I, I was just going to echo what you said. I mean, it, it's it's a game changer. It's beautiful. It, it's everything we hope to be, at least, again, from the videos. The locker room looks amazing. The weight room is unbelievable. Um, yeah. The arcade room is sick. I mean, all the pools and stuff. The Spurs cut. The barbershop is amazing. Having a DJ booth, I think, sets them apart. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if there's many other indoor facilities or other facilities that have something like that. I mean, Again, it's just it's great to see a project like that finally come to fruition and be finished because we you know we've been hearing about it for so long. I mean, it's a beautiful facility. I definitely think it's going to be a game changer recruiting. Um, Tom, speaking of something else that your tuition is going towards, do we want to talk about this U of SC logo by chance? I just want to. It makes me want to shoot myself <laughs> thinking about it. How terrible it is. Uh, it just I, you makes, you I, mentioned and, your tuition a lot on social media because like this stuff's getting high and it's just keep going higher. But and I learned I've learned different reasons for why it is and it. I mean the facilities are, are part of it, but they're not the main driving cost in it. It's a bunch of other there are a bunch of other factors. But anyway, I mean the bug. I talk about this in our interview next week. Can I can I announce this right now? Well, let's care? let's wait. Let's wait. I, I like to tease it on Sunday. You'll okay, find out on well, Sunday. It's it's going to be a legendary interview. That's all. I'll say. Well, we have an interview lined up for next week, and in the interview, something we talk about is the logo, and I give my opinion in a lot more detail there. But I mean, it's just terrible from every you know aspect i don't think there's much else to say about it to be honest yeah i i feel like i we've all dove into this very much on social media and there's you know i don't want to rip the school a new one or anything and, he, and here's the thing you know basically someone said that that u of sc logo that everybody's coming after is just the social media watermark which okay whatever fine whatever i'm intrigued to see the rest of the the graphics and how the apparently the school says they're planning to roll out and rebrand and stuff like that but 
even if that U of SC logo is just for social media, you could have made a more appealing logo. I mean, here's the thing. If you're doing this for your national brand, kids nowadays, people that are going to college, when they're like, hey, what is South Carolina all about? The University of South Carolina. I'm going to go look it up on Twitter. I'm going to go look it up on Instagram. Like, they're going to go to social media. So, of all things, the social media logo better be on point. And, I mean, I I don't know. It's just – it's not a great look. You knew fans were going to be upset and the whole up thing. Then you got College of Charleston taking shots at you, and you got these other outlets taking shots. It's just – I just was kind of fed up on social. Like, dude, I've had enough. Just change it back. Let's, Let's forget this ever happened. And then, again, like you said, Tom, it comes out the South County paid $280,000 for these logos and that raised the whole tuition stuff and came, got that brought that up but i mean like i said it's I a bad it, they i really just feel like they should have thought things out before they rolled this out you know yeah. like you maybe should have waited until you had all the logos or something until you know so it wasn't such a bad reception because who in the world thought just rolling that singular logo out was going to be like, well, this is going to go well. I'm sure this will go well. Like it who would made be, that decision? It would be a marketing department that knows nothing about the history of South Carolina or anything like that. They just looked at data without looking any, into any actual context right. of the data. I mean, I don't, again, I don't want to rip the school a new asshole, but on the other hand, I'm like, come on guys. Like you knew this wasn't going to go well and you did it anyways. So, yeah. and, it, and the fact, like, it just doesn't look good. <laughs> like, even if you're going to rebrand and do the whole of stuff, everybody would have still been pissed. But if the logo was fire, at least right, if they would have like, Okay, well. If they would have just changed the logo, like, their handle on Twitter and, like, not said anything, no one would have cared. Their it's logo, a non-story. Their, their handle already was U of SC. No, I'm saying, like, the, the their Twitter profile picture. I didn't mean to say their handle. Oh, and just didn't, like, make a whole post about yeah. it and stuff like that. Then no well, one would care. No one would notice. Yes and no. I think people would have started to raise questions and like they're, they're promoting this whole rebrand thing. So listen, when you do this, it's going to be Gamecock fans are going to lose it, which they certainly did on social media. I mean, there's, there's literally still people talking about it. So, and again, I can't really blame them just because look at the logo. So I, I don't know. Hopefully it gets better. Hopefully they've got more stuff to roll out, but just, no bueno. Use the SC for baseball. Use that as the logo. Just yeah. use that. Use the block C. I mean, come on. Anything else. Anything else. Anything else to represent the university. All right, let's get off the logo because I just – I don't want to talk about it anymore. Um, let's get to some listener questions. We didn't have a ton. No voicemails either. I understand it's been pretty slow, so no biggie. Um, let's start with these listener questions. Um, Joshua underscore Frederiki record next year. I think we talked about that last week. I think we're sitting right at seven, five, eight, and four. I think me and Tom both kind of agree. Yeah. The head, that's where we're putting it. Um, Dixon Oliver 23. What do you think the rotation for our quarterbacks next season will be? Jake Bentley's your starter. I think that Ryan Holinsky is your backup and the carry on joiner, which is funny because it answers the next question from D Mondo that says Dak joiner possible transfer. I'm very curious to see what happens with that. I mean, I'm I think if he comes out of spring training and he's behind Holinsky, he's transferring. Like, I don't think – I don't know. He won't who knows? Back. Who knows? Who knows? You never know. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I could definitely see it. I, I could certainly see DeCaron Joyner transferring. but And especially in these times where it's just so – such a popular thing. Um, 
cut of gentlemen. Will there be quarterback controversy this spring? No, I don't think there'll be yeah. a controversy. I think Jake will get pushed, but there is don't, no doubt who's starting week one of 2019. There won't be a starting quarterback controversy, but there could be a backup quarterback controversy. Right, yeah, the, the battle for the two spot is going to be very heated. Um, A.J. Bowers underscore 11 with new secondary players getting the start for this season. Will it move our defense up a good bit? Basically, he's saying with, with these new guys, it's going to improve the defense. I think uh, yeah. it certainly will. I think getting guys back from injury will certainly improve the defense. Getting some the young guys in there like a Cam Smith, John Dixon, I fully expect them to play early and often and be in the rotation somewhat. Um, so, yeah, I mean, listen, I think South Carolina's defense, it can only get better. I, I really don't think they can get better. Remember when Muschamp said, um, <laughs> that's a dumb question to that reporter after he was like, it was like the Clemson game, he was like, did having a bunch oh, of yeah. players out on your defense make yeah. it where you couldn't run but a couple of things on defense? Like, that's a dumb question. Yeah, that's a dumb – I'm sorry to hear that listener. Like, I fucking dig for saying that, but that's a dumb question. I just remember when that happened. I'm like, I am all for Will Muschamp bodying the media. That, that was beautiful. Um, and then last question, which is the same thing, Neil underscore 1801, who will start next season? His name's Jake Bentley. That's who will start next – you know what's so funny? You have to love South Carolina fans' passion because the Gamecocks are 3-0 and in SEC play in men's basketball, and still every single question is football-related. So yeah, it never – it truly never stops in South Carolina, which I love, which is why we love it, which is why we love you guys. Um, other than that, Tom, a little shorter show than normal, which is completely fine, but anything else you may have missed, any other news and notes or anything uh, else you want to talk about? Go Pats, bro. That's all I got to say. All right, well, we've got this interview coming up with Michael Skarnecchia. Before we get into it, again, I want to talk about our sponsor, MyBookie, mybookie.ag. They're the only gambling site I use and the only one you should use as well. They're extremely interactive on social media. They answer every DM and mention on Twitter, so be sure to hit those guys up. They pay out extremely fast, and again, they're the only gambling site I use. Obviously, there's so many places to gamble really too many places to gamble. Make sure you're gambling with mybookie.ag. Go there. Use the promo code SPURSUP when you create create your new account. You'll get a 50% deposit bonus. So, for example, if you want to bet the Patriots plus three this weekend, if you want to put 1,000 on the game, you can put 1,000 into mybookie. Use that promo code SPURSUP. They're going to give you an additional 500 to play with. Uh, it's really that simple. Again, my bookie's just basically giving away free money at this point, and they're really tempting me to go play a parlay with the Saints and the Patriots. I'm not going to lie to you at all, but I probably won't mm-hmm. do that. Um, so, yeah, again, really excited about my bookie, mybookie.ag. Use the promo code Spurs Up. We appreciate you guys listening to us. Enjoy this interview with Gamecocks quarterback Michael Skarnecchia. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man who just finished up his Gamecock career, played for the Gamecocks from 2014 all the way to this past season, led the Gamecocks to a very memorable, one of the most memorable comebacks uh, in the South Carolina's 37-35 win over Missouri. He's gracious enough to give us his time and join the show. I want to welcome to the show Michael Skarnecchia. Michael, again, appreciate you having you on, man, and it's a pleasure to speak with you. Yes, sir, I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. So let's start back from the beginning because I was taking a look. You're obviously from Fleming Island, Florida. Um, everyone that knows knows you're the last Spurrier quarterback, if you will, at South Carolina. But let's go back to kind of your recruitment. Um, growing up, who were you a fan of if you had a team college-wise? And um, were you a big Steve Spurrier fan? Is that something that eventually led you to pursuing to play at South Carolina? Growing up, well, I was originally born in Ohio, but most of my life was in Florida. 
So I grew up an Ohio State fan, surprisingly enough. Uh, and then that all transitioned and kind of changed out when I started getting recruited by colleges. Um, because, you know, I got to start being more open-minded. I wasn't going to go to Ohio State. And I started the recruiting process. It went well, you know, a bunch of schools looking at me. I didn't get many offers from a lot of schools because I started the process late. Um, but, you know, I was Miami, Arkansas, Arkansas State, UAB. And then, surprisingly enough, there was one camp left in the summer. And it was South Carolina. And it was the end of July. And so my dad was like, hey, let's go do it. So I went up there. Uh, when I did the camp, it was a one-day camp. Spurrier came up to me after the camp. And he said he really liked me, liked what he saw. And he said he was going to be with, in touch with me throughout my uh, senior season. And so about halfway through my senior season at Fleming Island, he called me and offered me a scholarship himself. So that was pretty cool. And, yeah, but- uh, you know, as, as a, well, I mean, going back to my bad, uh, Spurrier, I mean, me and him grew a connection because he was the one doing the main contact with me. So me and him got pretty close. And we still actually communicate to this day. Yeah, I was going to ask you what that relationship was like because I think for each South Carolina quarterback, you know, we've had the opportunity to talk to a couple guys, Stephen Garcia, Perry Orth, a couple of your former teammates, um, just about their relationship with Steve Spurrier. And we've all heard the stories and know that being a quarterback under him is – it's not the easiest thing in the world. Um, and I know that he was someone that hit – you know, uh, stayed in contact with you and hit you up after the Missouri game or even the week leading into that one this past season. But just talk about the impact that Steve Spurrier – uh, had on you, not just on the football field, but off the field as well? Uh, so on the field, the biggest thing I took away with Spurrier is the the way you can manipulate defenses with your eyes, your body movements, how you can do that kind of stuff in a game, uh, and also mental toughness because, as you said, he's not the easiest with his quarterback. So, you know, you can't go out there and and kind of be soft or take anything he says to heart and think he's trying to be mean to you. He's just trying to get you ready mentally for what you're going to go out there and prepare with because these fans are, I mean, you see what fans, fans are just as ruthless uh, with what they say to the players. So you have to go out there and, and have a mental toughness about yourself that nothing is going to affect how you play or how you think or the way you focus and off the field. Um, Spurrier was kind of like there for me for a dad. Like he was, you know, in a way I could go talk to him about stuff and he was actually pretty open about it. Uh, a lot of people think he was closed off and wouldn't really open up to people, but you know, he would, he would talk to me in a way that would help me out, whether it's, you know, adapting to the college lifestyle, the college football lifestyle, that kind of stuff. So I, in a way he, that's what he helped with. Absolutely. So 2014, your freshman season, you red shirt. Um, 2015 obviously was, a very interesting year for South Carolina football, a tough year, if you will. Gamecocks go three and nine. Obviously, you're in the middle of a, a quarterback battle with you, Perry Yorth. Um, you know, Lorenzo Nunez was still there as well. And obviously, again, like I said, that was a tough season. Uh, Steve Spurrier obviously resigning, I think, about two-thirds of the way through the year. Just talk about that 2015 season, because I'm sure, you know, coming up in high school, you had seen the success South Carolina had from – 2010, 2013, those dominating stretches, and obviously the program, you know, went astray a little bit. Just talk about that 2015 season and what it was like um, going through that. Uh, it obviously wasn't easy because we went three and nine. It was a tough season. Um, you know, it, it just makes playing football difficult. But the I think the biggest thing, and this is one thing that Coach Muschamp has changed. You know, Spurrier was a great coach. And he did a lot of amazing things with this program. But 
nearing the end of his career here, uh, our team, it didn't feel as much as a family as it does now. Now, don't take that away as I'm saying we weren't a family because a lot of us got along. But I think there's a lot more of a family unit with Muschamp. And, you know, going through that season, it was difficult because it didn't seem like sometimes everybody had each other's backs. But that the culture is changing with that. And, you know, it was tough going through that season, but you learned a lot from it. You learned what you don't want to happen. You learn how to prep, uh, prepare better. And, you know, you learn how to be more disciplined with everything about every aspect of your life. Um, so, you know, it, in a way, it taught a lot of lessons for us to start trending towards being great and winning more games and trying to get to that championship um, status. Absolutely. So you talked about obviously having each other's back and being a family. I know one guy that you're really close with, and I'm pretty sure still close with, is Perry Orth. Um, again, you yeah. guy, you know, you saw it. I think he has a great story. Obviously, Perry Orth, you know, we all hear he was once bagging groceries at Publix, and he's the Gamecock starting quarterback. But despite the record, um, again, I thought it was a great story what Perry did to be, to be able to become the starting quarterback in 2015 and battle adversity. Um, talk about what – that meant to you to see someone who was such a close friend, you know, kind of break through and have success at, you know, the highest level in the SEC. I mean, I thought it was awesome, especially in, early in my career. I mean, pretty much through my whole career, obviously I didn't get the playing time that I thought I deserved, but you know, that didn't take away from me being a teammate, but watching Perry, because you don't see many walk-on kids coming on a program, especially a quarterback in an SEC school coming in and, and earning a starting position. And, you know, especially with the type of adversity we were facing all season when he was here, you know, he held his head high. He performed. He he tried performing at the best of his ability. He, you know, he approached every week like, like it was a championship week. So, you know, his mentality and his mental toughness and everything about him really motivated me because at the end of the day, a lot of things didn't go right in the way of how I wanted South Carolina to go for playing time. But because of watching him and how he prepared and, and the mindset he uh, took to approach how he's going to be a quarterback in South Carolina, because coming on as a walk-on, you don't immediately think you're going to be a starter. So you have to have that, that mindset and that focus to, and the discipline to come in and just prepare every day like you're going to be and hopefully get your shot. So, you know, he taught me that kind of stuff was the, the focus and the discipline to come in and, and prepare and don't let anything really affect your mindset on, and your goals. Right. So going to 2016, um, you know, you're going to the transition from Coach Steve Spurrier to Will Muschamp. You already touched on it a little bit, but I think it's really interesting, Michael, because I've, you know, you've probably seen we've had a couple of older guests who went through the, who have been through coaching transitions, you know, from Lou Holtz to Steve Spurrier, but you were part of the one, again, going from Spurrier to Muschamp. Just talk about the transition, um, you know, some of the pros, some of the cons, and just how the team dealt with that going to a new head coach. Um, going through the head coach, obviously the first year it's different. It's a new transition. You got to start adapting to the culture of the coach who's coming in, wants to bring in. And, you know, the, the big thing is, is coach Muschamp always talks about effort, toughness, and discipline. And I think those are three qualities he's really instilled into the program. And our players are starting to more and more buy in every year. And he's recruiting players who are going to buy into those standards. And so, I think those are three things that have changed. You know, our players always gave effort under the Spurrier area. Um, but I would probably say there's 
there's more discipline and there's more accountability within the program. And I think those are big changes that were needed to want to get a championship status or championship level. And cons, I mean, I don't really think there is a con because especially in this world, um, you know, the only con could have been we, we wouldn't get Coach Muschamp. We kind of got a coach who brought in a different culture and it wouldn't have adapted well. But, you know, I don't think there's any cons. I think Coach, uh, coach Muschamp came in. We brought the right coach for this culture. And he's doing what he can to change that and bring us to that level. And, you know, everyone thinks it's supposed to be done in three years. But, I mean, I see how this program's changing. And I could – I could, uh, I feel really good about us being at that level in the next couple of years. Absolutely. So, <clears throat> that 2016 season, um, obviously Coach Muschamp's first year, you missed the entire season, had to have surgery on your labrum. Uh, on your non-throwing shoulder, your left shoulder. Talk about just how that happened, because I know it was a, during a home workout in, uh, in May, I believe, and I guess the offseason. But just talk about how that happened and what it was like to battle through adversity. Because, you know, I, I don't know, Michael, if you know, but I, I actually played college baseball, and I've been around a lot of guys that have stuff, suffered torn labrums, and I know that injury is – it's nothing to mess with. I mean, it's probably a 12- to 16-month type of rehabilitation. Um, just talk about the yeah. battling through adversity for you and just – what that was like um so my bad i'm outside and there's two cats fighting right now uh <laughs> but no so the adverse or the injury you know it stemmed from one day at practice um i don't know i think we were live and i got tackled and i fell with my arm up and my shoulder popped all right that didn't feel real good and my shoulder kind of hurt and then over time just falling more or, or like what really happened was when it when it gets outside of the frame of the body, mm. it would start subplexing where it would like pop out and pop back in, and it would just get worse and worse. And so I, I, it got to the point where I pretty much couldn't anything. Like if the ball got snapped to me outside of the frame of my body, my shoulder would sublex and would pop out and pop back in. And so I was like, "This is too much pain. I can't." So I went and got surgery, and you know that kind of sucked because that year. um you know everything works out for a reason i think the lord has a plan but that year is uh when perry and brandon got benched halfway through the season and jake went in you know i was supposed to be the next guy in line but uh jake got the opportunity and jake's done everything he could to become a gamecock great at quarterback and and you see what he's done and the success he's had so taking nothing away from him but you know it's like you look at that looking back on him like man i would have never got hurt that would have been me potentially out there or me now potentially out there playing. But, you know, through that injury, honestly, that injury brought me a lot of knowledge because it changed the whole, it changed everything about my mindset towards football, towards playing time. Uh, you know, I realized that at the end of the day, we all have a role to play. And maybe that role is for me to come every day to the stadium and have a positive mindset and a positive attitude. And maybe that will change just one person's attitude. And I wanted to be the best teammate and make everyone around me better, whether that was doing practice squad or the backup QB for the defense, you know, whatever it was, or starter. You know, if I was a starter, I wanted to be the best teammate I could be. And it changed my mindset because football, you know, I realized this from the injury is a lot of people find their identity in football. And, you know, for the long time I did. And, you know, that changed through the injury because I was like, man, if, if – I rely solely on football and my happiness is through football and it's going to fail me. So 
I think I learned happiness through other things, through the relationships I've created with my teammates and through, you know, the relationships I've made in the community and through just bringing a, um, a positive, energetic vibe to the stadium. And, you know, my teammates have noticed that and they've told me, you know, you bring an energy that's, that's sometimes much needed for me. And, you know, that stuff, those comments mean more to me than anything. And that through the injury is how I learned all this. So, no, I didn't get the playing time I wanted, but the injury bought me new, a new frame of mind that I probably would have never gotten if I didn't get injured. Right, and, and that's a great perspective to have, Michael. And I, I can tell you as well that I think Gamecock fans for sure see that as well, the energy you bring, the positive energy, uh, without a doubt. So, like you said, that's something I definitely wanted to get to where, <clears throat> you know, like you said, your injury in 2016 maybe puts you kind of – in a bad spot as far as like you're saying that would have been you going in there um obviously 2017 you saw limited snaps and then this season obviously we're going to get to the Missouri game just kind of what that meant but uh, you know it was really interesting because you know Jake Bentley has definitely been great for this South Carolina football program he's obviously done well he's about to break a couple of records probably in this this upcoming yeah. season. but just talk about because it's interesting you know when Anytime you're a quarterback, I know being a quarterback, you get too much of the credit and too much of the blame. I mean, it just kind of it comes with the position. It's very highly it scrutinized. Yeah, it's very highly scrutinized. People, you know, have knee-jerk reactions to things. But there was definitely – there were definitely times, I would say, in both 2017 and 18 where people were lobbying for, you know, someone else to get a chance under center. You know, I know definitely in 2018 for you to get a chance under center – what was your take on the entire quarterback competition? I mean, did you ever feel like um, – because I, I know, like, for example, your friend Perry Orth, I remember listening to him on the radio basically saying he didn't feel like you were necessarily – or he didn't feel like you had always necessarily gotten a fair shot at South Carolina to be the starting quarterback. Uh, what do you yeah. see to that? Is there is – there, do you feel the same way? I mean, what's your take on the entire situation? Uh, you know, I can never speak on – what goes on behind closed doors, whether I got a fair shot or not. I, you know, I believe I did. Um, I believe that, you know, I don't think it was an open QB competition going into the 2017 or 18 season. I think Jake, yeah, there's moments, but if you go back and watch any of the other quarterbacks, there's a lot of moments, especially with the competition we play that maybe they'll have a bad game, but you're not going to have a perfect game every single game. Like a lot of fans expect. And, you know, I didn't think there was an open QB competition. I was fighting like I was going to be the starter. Um, but I knew that number two role was, was going to be mine um, because Jake performed well. You know, if you perform well, you're going to continue to start. And so maybe some people wanted to change, but at the end of the day, Jake was performing well. So you can't take anything away from him. You can't take that starting job away from him from one bad performance. So I think I got a fair shot. Um, you know, I do think there are moments that I probably could have got a little more play time, but that's just personal. That's nothing to do with the coaches. I mean, that's just what I believe. But, you know, I think Jake earned his role and he's proven his role as the starting quarterback. Uh, and so I always thought I got a fair shot, but I also understood what the situation was. Uh Absolutely. So talk about I'm, – I'm curious to hear about your relationship with Jake Bentley. Obviously, you've known the guy now for uh, a couple of years. You know, his red shirt gets burned in 2016 and really turns the season around. And, you know, obviously the rest is history. We all know. But uh, just talk about what your relationship is like with, uh, with Jake Bentley when you were playing, obviously, and, and currently. Yeah. No, Jake and I are real close. Like, we still even talk 
now, even though it's only a couple weeks out of uh, the season. <clears throat> but Jake and I still talk. We were real close. Heck, we chose to live together, not live together, to room together um, at the hotel whenever the team traveled or on a home game, right. we traveled to the team hotel. So, you know, we had a real close relationship. Um, you know, we we would talk about football a lot, but majority of the time it was just us joking around. So we had a really close relationship and there was no hostility. There was none of that. And, you know, he's a friend to this day and I hope he continues to be a friend. And I think he thinks the same way. Absolutely. So let's get into the 2018 season. Um, you know, an interesting year for South Carolina football, for sure. Um, we'll start at the beginning. You know, you get some playing time against Coastal Carolina. I had a beautiful touchdown pass in that one. Um, the Georgia game was very hyped the entire offseason. And, you know, obviously Georgia kind of showed why they were the number two team or whatever they were ranked at that point in the country, top five team in the country. Um, pulled away in the second half. I think you guys put up a really good fight. Just were a little undermanned on the defensive side, at least in the second half. But talk about the impact of that game because I know some, and I think I, I think I can speak for some when I say that. I feel like there was so much emphasis put into that game in the offseason. There was so much talk that – when South Carolina lost that game, it almost felt like almost a deflating feeling, if you will, or there'd be almost like a hangover effect for the next couple of weeks. But just talk about the that game in general for you guys, you know, what that was like, and did, do you think it had any long-term or lasting impact on the season? No, I don't think there was long-term. Now, I can't speak for everybody, but majority of the guys, I believe that it didn't have a long-term effect. It hurt definitely because a lot of us, you know – Everyone sees it. Everyone sees Georgia's winning the East every year, or at least these past couple of seasons. So, you know, beating them is huge. You know, it gives you a new confidence thinking you're going to win the East. But uh, our guys, and Muschamp's done a really good job with this, is, is um, creating a mindset where, you know, every week is a season. So we lost that game. It hurt. But at the end of the day, the SEC East, especially with the talent for every team in the East, is getting better. Uh, it's up in the air. So, um, you know, we knew that if we can win out or if we just lose one more SEC game, whatever, we still have an opportunity. So it deflated us for a little bit, like, you know, right after the game. But right the very next week, we were ready to get back at it and go in and win out, and, you know, with our mindset. We were ready to go out and win out in the East and uh, with the rest of the games and, and give ourselves an opportunity to be the champions. Yeah, and I definitely – I love the mindset as well, for sure. Every week is a season kind of keeps thing in, things in perspective for you guys. Um, Kentucky, t talk about, Michael, just in your opinion, what has led to the current five-game losing streak to Kentucky? Because I think a lot of people would argue that, you know, maybe all of the wins where Kentucky's beaten South Carolina, they weren't necessarily more talented or even a better football team, but – the games have just panned out the way they have. And, again, Kentucky currently on the run. In your opinion, what's been the biggest thorn in you guys' side as far as finding a way to beat those guys? Uh, I think it just comes down to simple execution. You know, 2017, I believe it was, we had almost 300 yards passing, I think, on them. And this year we had a bunch of passing yards against them. And there were several opportunities with either dropped balls or – balls that were just slightly underthrown, whatever it may be, you know, it was just the little things that just didn't go right. You know, red zone offense in 2017 against Kentucky when we lost at home, uh, you know, we, I think we had five trips down there and only a couple points. You know, if we change that around, the game is completely different. It's not like Kentucky's putting up crazy 
offensive statistics or numbers on us that are 24 points. Uh, it's not a crazy number that's hard to catch up with. It's not like Ole Miss where you have to score every drive to keep up. Um, it's just the little things. You know, we were in the red zone, and we turned the ball over, um, I think, once, maybe twice. Um, and then third down conversions. You know, everyone everyone doesn't see the little things that can change a game. Maybe it's a third and five, and a, and a receiver runs the wrong route. I'm not saying this for a fact. I'm just saying if this is the case. Right. It's just like the little the little things in the game that change the course. You know, because you know everyone fans love the big shots, but they also don't recognize the third and three that got converted that led to that big shot. And so there were opportunities in that game when we just we didn't give ourselves those opportunities because we weren't either converting on third down. We weren't executing in the red zone. We missed a block on a guy that would have broke for a huge run, whatever it may be. It was just the little things because, you know, we had the shots, we had the opportunities. We just, I guess we didn't execute at the highest level. Like we know we can, and we've shown this season that we can execute at that level. Um, but it's just when the little thing, when one person does something wrong, you know, it can affect the whole play. And so, once we get those little things fixed, you know, I, I see us, we're beating Florida. We're not losing by four at the last minute. We're beating Kentucky. We're not, yeah, we're beating Kentucky. We're beating A&M. We're not losing by, what was it, a point, two point, whatever it may be, a field goal. You know, it's like the margins are so small for our losses that it's the little things that people kind of, it goes unnoticed. And it's things that we can easily change, but, you know, maybe we didn't execute them during the game. Right. So the following week, obviously Jake Bentley uh, suffers an injury in the Kentucky game. Now we all found out, or I guess it was announced on Friday that you were getting the start against Missouri. Uh, when did you know that you were starting? Was it sooner or did it really go that late into the week where it was kind of a last minute decision? No, it went that late. I figured I was going to be the starter because of, I was just getting all the first team reps um, and he wasn't getting any, he wasn't even practicing. Uh you know, he wasn't practicing later in the week. I think he tried for the first couple of days and it just wasn't feeling right. So, you know, in my mind, I was like, all right, I'm about to be the starter um, just because of rep, you know, who got the reps. And so, by, you know, Muschamp announced it to me as well Friday, mm-hmm. as, as, as well as you guys. So we all found okay. it at the same time. <laughs> right, right. I just wasn't sure if that was uh, something where you knew like Sunday, but it was kept in house. Um, but anyway, so that week leading up to the game, I know was very interesting. I know you had a lot of people reaching out to you, especially again, when you were announced as the starter. Um, and I know, again, you're kind of looking at, you know, maybe this is the shot that you didn't get in 2016, where it's like, I get to start. I mean, this is a big game for South Carolina. You take a look at, look back at that game. You guys were two and two, one and two in conference, obviously coming off a tough game against Kentucky and, I mean, this was, in my opinion, was kind of like a swing game. Like, which way is the season going to go? Are, are we going to turn it around and, you know, trend upwards? Or are we going to fall, lose this game and, you know, continue down that path? But talk about what that week was like for you getting ready for the Missouri game and everyone reaching out to you. Uh, reaching out was cool. You know, it's a bunch of people that I've already spoken to, but, you know, they were just giving me their advice and telling me good luck and everything. So that was cool. Um, but – you know, I didn't have many nerves, honestly, going into that game. I don't know. I just felt really calm with all my preparation through that week. I felt calm going into the game. Uh, so, you know, a lot of people probably expect me to be real nervous. And, and you know, the anticipation for the game is just high. Um, but, honestly, I kind of just had, I think, you know, my anxiety level is high as well. But 
honestly, I was pretty calm through the whole week. I prepared like I always do, just in case, you know, I may get that starter, I may get in the game. Um, but this week I knew I was. And so, and I mean, maybe I spent 30 more minutes studying film, but I've always been really diligent with how I study film and my preparation, knowing even though I'm the backup throughout all the seasons, I always prepare like I'm going to be the starter and nothing changed with this week. Right, and your stat line, 20 for 35, 249 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. It definitely sounds like to me that it's, you know, a lot of people think you came off the bench and had some hero performance. It sounds like more like to me you're a guy, again, that just put in the work, kind of bided your time and knew that if you, you know, got the opportunity you were going to excel. Obviously this game, though, came down to a Parker White field goal. You guys are down, I think, what was it, uh, one with I think about a minute left. You lead the final drive, hit Kyle Markway on a big-time play over the middle to get you guys in field goal range. Just talk about, you know, because, again, like you're saying, there were no nerves, but I can imagine that moment there are a lot of things going through your head. What was that like leading the guys down the field for that final drive and, you know, the eventually the game-winning field goal? So, you know, a lot of guys, a lot of Kiwis would go and pump everyone up and get ready for the final drive. I kind of, you know, I told everyone, let's go do this. But, like, before it, I kind of stood over in the corner by myself and just, you know, sat there, took a breath, and locked myself in because I knew what had to be done. And so, uh, you know, I just, for like about 10, 15 seconds, I just stood by myself and just, like, focused in on getting ready on what I had to do. And, you know, we prepare a one-minute draw at times, so it was nothing new. But the scenario is a little different because it matters more. Um but I just kind of, I told the guys, hey, man, we're going to go do this. And I took about 15 seconds, took a breath, and, and locked myself in and prepared myself for what I knew had to be done. Have you, have you ever played in a crazier game? Because, I mean, I know watching it again, I mean, it's, you know, you're, you're forecasted for a beautiful sunny day. It, it absolutely downpours on you. All the big plays, momentum swings, lead changes. I mean, have you ever played in a football game crazier than that one? No, you know, you think playing in Florida, you got a lot of rain games, but honestly, it only rained before the games in Florida, never during them. So never really played in a rain game. And we've always been lucky enough to barely have rain games in South Carolina when we have home games. Um, so no, that was probably the craziest game. The craziest part to me, though, was, uh, heck, we had what? After the rain delays and everything, we had about 10,000 fans, maybe. And it was, I mean, it was as loud as there was probably it was as loud as if there was 80,000, I swear. <laughs> Me and some of the guys are talking about it. They were like, man, that game was as loud as if it was like a, a packed home game. I was like, I know. It was crazy. Yeah, I, I remember hearing about that. I was un, unfortunately unable to make that one, of course. That's just kind of how it always, work, always works <laughs> out when there's a legendary game like that. But, no, I, I definitely heard that, that the – the crowd noise levels were almost like shocking because of, like you said, there were only about 10,000 people in the stadium. Um, after that yeah, game. Yeah, it didn't you, make sense. Yeah, no, for sure. But after that game, obviously you get the huge win. I know everybody's congratulating you. You know, you, you got your opportunity and you made the most of it. Um, what was, I guess, what was that like for you? Because I feel like that's almost like the stamp on your career. Like you can look back and say, you know what, things didn't maybe go exactly how I wanted. I mean, most of the time when you have plans, they just don't work out. You know, that's life. But things didn't maybe yeah. go exactly how you wanted. You know, you didn't maybe get as much playing time as you wanted. But I, I really do think that your performance in that, that Missouri game will be forever remembered by South Carolina fans. When you, now that you've probably had a little bit of a chance to reflect on it, you know, what does it mean to you uh, to know you have a performance like that you can look back on? Uh, I mean, it's, 
it's a moment of relief. Um, and it was kind of emotional after the game too, because, you know, you prepare all this time and in my mind, you know, any athlete should be like this, you know, you're good enough. And I knew I was good enough to play, especially at a lot of programs, but you know, South Carolina was the one where I found home and, you know, it was just a moment of relief because I knew I had the ability. I knew, you know, we could do it as a team and going out there and getting that opportunity to show everyone, you know, I wasn't trying to prove anyone wrong or prove anybody right, but it was just a moment for me to be like, you know what, I do have it. And another thing that probably goes unnoticed, but, you know, it plays a big role is you play the game of football, you play the game of whatever your sport is. And if you're not the one playing in the actual games, but you're practicing a lot, it's different. So, you know, I love the game of football. I've always loved it. But playing in an actual game for the first time since, like, high school as, like, a starter, it, it – I don't know. It's, like, a different feeling that you can't really explain. And it just brings a completely different type of love with the game uh, and excitement. You know, not taking away – I love the game, even as a backup. And I've always loved the game. It's been it's been everything to me. But it, playing in a game – as a starter, it's a different feeling that only someone, and you were a player, you know how starting feels. It's a different feeling than practice because you get your opportunity to go do it and the excitement's different. And I don't, I don't know how to explain it in a better way, but if you play a sport and you're the starter, it's just, it's a different feeling. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'd agree a hundred percent. I think you make some great points in regards to that. Um, you bring up a good point, Michael, because like you said, you could have played for a lot of other programs and we obviously saw your ability in the era where transferring is very, very popular. I mean, guys are doing that left and right. You see it. Um, did that yeah. ever cross your mind to, Hey, maybe I'll transfer and, you know, give it a try somewhere else. You know, realistically it did, it, you know, my, what was this? injury before well I don't remember when it exactly was but it crossed my mind I was like man should I transfer you know is is it worth it sticking around and hoping for an opportunity but you know I the more I realized it was like you know it's not always green or on the other side you're not guaranteed to start somewhere um and to me and I'll stay I'll say this the rest of my life I think relationships are more important than anything and excuse me and I, I I created a lot of relationships here with, you know, whether it's politicians, attorneys, doctors, my teammates, my coaches, um, staff members, um, faculty members, like teachers and or professors and stuff. You know, the relationships I communicate with professors to this day, old coaches, all these people, and and those relationships mean more to me than than playing time. Um, not because of connections, but because of people who genuinely care for you and, and, you know, you're, they look out for your best interest and, and Columbia has that type of people where, you know, they care about their players deeper than just football. And it's something I didn't want to just leave. Right. No, absolutely. So going into the next week, because obviously with your performance, Jake Bentley's health up in the air. I mean, it was a very interesting week. Um, I know probably for yeah. you guys as well. You go into Texas again, you guys lose that game 26-23 in a really hard-fought game and get off to a slow start offensively. I'll ask you first, um, did you feel like you should have gotten the start in the Texas A&M game after the Missouri game, or was it a situation where they made it clear that, hey, if Jake Bentley is healthy, no matter what, he's our quarterback? 
Yeah. Well, Mushtan told us he doesn't believe someone should lose their starting job to injury. And I get that. Um, do I feel I should have started? Yeah, of course. You're an athlete. Anybody should think that. You know, you go out and perform well. And, you know, I thought I should have got a chance. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, Mushtan has his policy, and I respect that. And, you know, the Lord has a different path for me. And I don't know what that path is, as tough as it is. But, you know, I got to I gotta endure through it. So I know that. I just I thought I deserved the shot, but that wasn't the case. And so I, you know, I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna be the best teammate I can be. So that was my mindset. Where would you say your humility comes from? Because obviously, again, someone in your situation, like I said, there are not many guys that will sit and you know embrace the community, even even if they love the community, they're they're gonna be out. They want to go play. I mean, again, we're seeing it with Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts, a lot of other guys that are using that transfer, but. You know, where does your humility come from? I mean, is it something that was instilled with you as a child, maybe the way you were raised, or where would you say that comes from? Uh, you know, I'd say partially the way I was raised, but I would also – I would say it's with my faith. Um, you know, I consider myself uh, a strong Christian. Um, you know, I, I, I'm into the Bible. I'm into praying. I'm into reaching out and helping the community. I'm into that kind of stuff. So, you know, I serve Jesus. And through that, uh, you know, I find my joy because I have a, a focus different than something that's earthly. So for me, my focus is on Jesus, where a lot of people's focus, like I'm not saying Justin Fields, he might be a strong Christian too, but his sole focus is with football. And, you know, I, I respect his decision. You know, he wants to go play somewhere else. But, you know, when, you, when you're living for football, you'll be moving around a bunch you see a lot of these quarterbacks who are number one recruits or whoever they may be, and they're moving around because either they don't fit in the community, they, they don't see play time. And, you know, if football is the most important thing, it's it's nothing else that's important to them. And, and so playing time is everything. But to me, you know, I realize that playing time is not everything. You can get a shot in the NFL. You may not get drafted high, but you can still get a shot in the NFL or you can wait your turn and work hard and prepare for those years and then get ready to start. Um, but, you know, I think it's really just what you find your identity in. You know, there's nothing against those guys transferring. But, I mean, transferring after one year is, to me, kind of ridiculous because you're not really – you're not sticking it out. You're going to another program hoping you're going to be the starter. There's no guarantee. And so, I mean, if why don't you just stay where you're at, work hard, and then see where that goes. But – you know, everyone nowadays is so quick to transfer, so quick to leave. There's commitment nowadays, especially in this generation, is tough. I mean, I seen a statistic the other day about, heck, even just jobs alone. I think like uh, in the first two or three years, most people in, um, in their 20s just out of college will move jobs three times. Mm. So I think nowadays it's just something with commitment and not really want to persevere and not wanting to persevere through the struggle. They want everything to be easy. And so they think transferring or going to another job or transferring schools to go play football is the easier route when sometimes it's not always sticking it out. Maybe not be the easier route, but, you know, it, it'll teach you a lot of lessons and you don't know what's, what the Lord has planned for you. You could be the starter. Someone could get hurt. You never know. And that's the thing that, I don't know, commitment kind of bothers me with nowadays is people aren't committed to stuff. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you, you think about it because the school invests so much in the kid. I mean, like I said, it's within the rules. They have every right, but I agree. You're kind of not – Yeah. you're not you're putting them in a bad position. You're not really seeing it out and giving your, giving it a chance, if that makes sense. I mean, if you committed to the yeah. school – I, 
you know. Yeah, no doubt. And I kind of rambled on right there. My bad. No, no, you're <laughs> fine. No, you're fine. I love it. So um, I definitely want to get your opinion on this because so someone that as someone that was on the team this season, again, we talked about the, the quarterback position, especially in the SEC, especially at a school like South Carolina, is extremely scrutinized for every little thing. Jake Bentley comes back in, against Texas A&M, and I feel like you probably know where this is going. Uh, throws an early pick in the red zone. You hear the chorus of boos at Williams-Brice Stadium. What was just your overall take on that? Because, you know, I know that it was – it had to be a little bit disappointing as a player to hear that. But I thought Jake Bentley handled it beautifully after the game, just saying, hey, they just want to win. I mean, it's – you know, they just want to win too. They're frustrated. We're frustrated. We get it. But just talk about that whole situation because, I, you know, it obviously wasn't the best look, but I, I can't imagine how it had to be from the player side of things. No, um, you know, fans are emotional just as the players are emotional. Um, I don't, I don't respect it. I don't like how fans do that, but it's not only our fans, it's fans across the nation on every sport. They do that. So, I mean, it's a thing. They, they have a high level of expectation for their teams. Uh, you know, Jake and I, obviously I, I was talking to him. Maybe that's not an obvious thing, but I was talking to him throughout the game because even though I thought I should have been in, it doesn't change how I'm going to, you know, be a good teammate. So I was telling him, I was like, man, just ignore it because, you know, these aren't the people putting, putting in the hours and putting in the work and, and the studying efforts to get ready for these games. So go out there and do what you know how to do. Um, and, you know, I, you know, maybe he listened to me, maybe he didn't listen to me, but he went out in the second half and performed a lot better. And, you know, I think that comes down to mental toughness again is just kind of ignoring what's going on with the outside factors of uh, or external factors with, fans or weather or whatever it may be and and Muschamp and Coach Dillman and the weight staff, weightlifting staff, they do a good job at of teaching our players to to not let that stuff affect our minds and, and the way we perform. But I don't respect it. I don't like how fans do that, but it's not gonna change. Right. No, absolutely. I, I agree. I, I don't like the look, but I do agree that I think our South Carolina fans were a little bit demonized where again it's just it's all across sports. I mean every, like you said every single fan base at some point um, has had that happen. But I, I want to ask you, because yeah. Jake Bentley is known. He's a very, very fiery guy. Um, wears his emotions on his sleeve, I would say. Did you guys give him any crap at all for the second half of the Texas A&M game when he basically destroyed the chair on the sideline, when he lost his mind, basically? Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I'm the more I'm more of the, uh, the ruthless guy in the QB room. You know, I'm the one that would get on everybody. Uh, make fun of them, whatever it may be, you know, that right. people might take that the wrong way, but it was all in fun. Uh, but heck, I gave Jake a bunch of crap, especially <laughs> that because he definitely wore his emotions on his sleeve, but I would always mess with him about that. People would send memes like in the QB group oh, yeah. text and just mess with him about that. Um, but Jake and I actually we used to argue a lot, not in a bad way, but me and him are like so stuck in our ways. We end the time argued about, uh, oh, what was it? Oh, the uh where we sat at on the qb dinner uh table you know we argued about he thought i was in his seat and i told him i was in my seat and he needs to move and we had a 10 minute argument and he ended up moving tables <laughs> <laughs> wow so that was that was pretty fun but no we me and him get along really well but we i definitely mess with him a lot especially about his emotions because i know how to get under his uh <laughs> get under his skin <laughs> Do you think going in the second half of the season that was something that he improved on? Because I'm not sure if people really noticed it, but I heard him bring it up more than once, talking about, you know, I learned to really handle my emotions, to be more even keel. That was something he really talked about. 
do you feel like that was something, a point of emphasis that someone brought up to him that, hey, like work on being even keel. It just, you know, helps you play the game of football at the quarterback position. Or do you think that's something he kind of took upon himself or, or am I just looking too far into it? I, I bet someone said something to him. I mean, I've talked to him about his emotions, but I never like told him to change it. Um, you know, maybe his dad, Coach Moschamp, Coach Warren, or someone, someone might have said something. But he realized, I think, that when you, you know, when you play on your emotions, it's a good thing when everything is going well. But when things aren't going well, you know, a lot of times you'll see it on your shoulders and your teammates will see that and stuff just won't start going right the way you want it because people see how you're reacting and what your, you know, what your mood's like. So I think he's gotten better with controlling that. Uh, and not showing the negative side, he still shows the positive side, the fiery side, which is good, you know. But I think he's got really better, or better at, um, or a lot better at controlling his negative side, the negative emotions that shows when he's down, if he makes a mistake. Um, so I think that was the biggest change. I don't know who told him to change it, or if he, it was an internal thing. But you know, him changing that, the way he shows the negative when things aren't going right. Uh, you know, he, he now consistently shows a positive attitude, upbeat attitude throughout the, throughout the whole entire game, which it's good for everybody because your teammates all look towards you as the quarterback. Absolutely. So during that stretch, um, tech, especially the Texas A&M game, but even moving to the Tennessee game the following week, you guys get a big win. But I know there was a point in this season or a couple of games stretch where your wide receivers weren't exactly catching everything, had some huge drops for sure in the A&M game again. Um, and I know it shocked a lot of people. I'm sure it shocked you guys because you think about, you know, that wide receiver unit with Debo Samuel, Brian Edwards, Shai Smith, you know, the Josh Van, the freshman, a lot of sure-handed guys that look like we're struggling probably more mentally. It's not really a physical mistake. They've done it over and over. It's more of a mental thing in my opinion. Um, did you guys ever, you know, did, did your faith ever waver in those guys at all when they were going through those struggles? And just how did you guys uplift your wide receivers to reassure them, hey, like this is something you can do and let, let's go get after it? You know, we just told him, like, you know, you guys have the ability. Don't let your mental side of, the, um, of everything affect how you're performing. Because at the end of the day, you know, if Steph Curry's not hitting his shots, you know, they tell him to keep shooting. You know, so we're going to keep throwing these guys because we know they can make the catches. They're great athletes. They're some of the best receivers in the nation. And, you know, they're going through it. Maybe they're just going through a little sump. I don't know the reasoning on why they're dropping the balls except for just mental focus. But – we told them, hey, man, these balls are going to keep coming at you. So you got to get locked in because we expect you to make these catches, and we know you can make these catches. And, you know, they started – things changed for us in the second half of the season. You know, they started focusing a lot better. Our offense started playing a lot better. Um, so I think it was just a focus thing. Do you think the move, Brian McClendon, moving him down from the box to the field, do you th did that have a big impact on the offense as a whole? Uh, I would say so. I think it made a bigger impact because he was able to communicate what he was thinking, mm -hmm. game plan wise, the next series wise, uh, with everybody. Um, you know, he was when he was up in the box. You can't, you know, you can get on the phone call, but you can't talk to every single person. Uh, so he was able to start when he was down there, be able to talk to everybody about what he's thinking about and what they're giving us. And, and I think it was just better because he could interact with us instead of having to just be isolated up in the box and one person hear what he has to say. Right, absolutely. So two games that I want to talk about specifically related to you, Michael, are the Akron game and the Virginia game. 
Can you okay. explain – because I, I really thought you should have gotten into both games. I mean, Akron 28-3 to three with about five minutes left in the fourth quarter. That game is fully in hand. And then, unfortunately, the bowl game, 28 nothing lost. Virginia is fully in hand for all the wrong reasons. But was there any type of reasoning as to why you didn't see the field in either one of those games? Because I, I just feel like being a senior, for what you did, especially for the Missouri game, because, again, I think if you guys lose that game, I mean, who knows what happens, but – Making a bowl game, getting to that seven-win plateau you guys hit was would have been much, much, much tougher. And just for a momentum would have been really bad to drop that one. But, I mean, was there any reason given to you as to why you didn't see the field against Akron or Virginia? Because I feel like there were perfect times or situations where you should have been inserted into the game. Did, did anyone say anything to you about that? Uh, no one really said anything to me. Um, and I didn't go searching for answers. Um, so... I don't know the reasoning. I wish I had an answer. Um, but, you know, I guess I know he talk, Coach Marshall talked about the weather in the Akron game and how we weren't holding on to the ball. Um, so that played a factor, I think, in the Akron game. Virginia, I don't, you know, I don't really have a reasoning for that one. So, uh, you know, I wish I had an answer, but I don't. I have to imagine. So. I have to imagine just from the player perspective, that had to be extremely frustrating to – Kind of just because again, you're a humble guy. You're not some guy that's going to go banging down Will Muschamp's door, causing a scene on the sideline. Like you're a team guy, right? I mean, that's, and that's one of your best qualities. Yeah. But I have to imagine internally, that had to be extremely frustrating. Uh, I mean, it's frustrating. It's more frustrating because you know I know I have the ability, and it's more frustrating just because it's the sport I love to play. And you know, any opportunity that I would be able to get out and go play that game. It's an opportunity I would just cherish for the rest of my, my life. But, you know, I didn't get those opportunities, so it was frustrating because I just love playing the game, not because of whatever other reason, just because I love playing. And so any opportunity I can get, I would love to go out. And so, you know, again, I don't know the reasoning why, um, but maybe I, I don't know. Just go out there, perform, play well, and, and just hope and keep, keep being a good teammate. But I don't know. Right. No, yeah, I was just curious. I just figured I'd ask because I know a lot of uh, – there were a lot of people uh, kind of thinking the same thing. I, you know, I was asking you just kind of why, why is Michael not getting a chance to go in the game. But, okay, so you your, – your football career at South Carolina is over. It's crazy. Obviously, it's been a heck of a journey. Um, I didn't really get yeah. to ask you this. Talk about your, your relationship with Will Muschamp. Obviously, you get this defensive-minded head coach. And, you know, when he first got hired at South Carolina, we're seeing all these – you know, all these gifts and stuff, him losing his, losing his cool at Florida. And he's known as this intense guy, <laughs> kind of crazy dude. And, uh, you know, I've heard yeah. he's he sort of mellowed out and been a lot more calm. You can see it. He hasn't had really this sideline outburst like he had at Florida. I think he's kind of grown into being a head coach in college football. But for you personally, what, what was the relationship or is the relationship like with Will Muschamp and what does he mean to you? Uh, the relationship – it's it's really good. He's a personable guy. He tried to get to know all the players. Um, you know, he he took time to know what's going on in your life, and so you know, it was cool. We we could talk about most things. We could joke around about things, and you know, the relationship was really good uh, between us. And you know, whenever I see him, like yesterday, I was at um, I was one of the athletes who spoke at the grand opening of the new operations facility the um, the long family or whatever it's called the yep, long yep. families operation yep. so i went there saw coach Marshall, and we just joked around about uh so jacob august and i went to the hammond and cardinal newman 
high school basketball game because <laughs> we're down here training for pro day, so there's not much for us to do. So we that game, and uh, and you know, I talked to him, and he's like, you know, I was, saw Jacob Walker. He said, I'm gonna call him and talk crap because Jacob Walker is a Cardinal Newman guy. So you know, <laughs> I've of football. We have a good relationship. We can joke about things. Yeah. So in you know in that regard, again you know, you're, you're pursuing a professional career. I know there's something, you know, you're getting ready for pro day. Like you mentioned, I know Steve Spurrier was one of the guys that, that uh, I guess reached out to you and encouraged you to, you know, go out there, throw it around at pro day. Um, but you're also, you know, planning, I guess, to go to law school, but we'll stick to the pro day stuff. Um, you know, what's been, what's the training been like these, you know, you obviously just finished up the season, but what does it look like for you all the training and um, you know, how excited are you, how, how excited are you to go out there and, have an opportunity to prove, show off your skill set and prove that, you know, you belong at some level of football and deserve a shot at the next level. Yeah, no, I'm excited because, um, you know, I know I wouldn't get drafted. I know it would have to be an unsigned or undrafted free agent um, and trying to get picked up by a team. But the whole process is exciting because right now I'm, I'm training over at this Apex facility right over here on Huger Street. Um, and then a couple of days of the week, I'm going over to the operations facility with a new weight room and, and doing some weight training stuff. Like at the apex, it's more personalized towards, uh, towards quarterbacking. So it's isolating different muscles. It's, and then I'm going to work on, and it's also speed training. And in the stadium, I'm going to do um, like physical strength, uh, more muscle building, and then doing yoga twice a week. And then I'm also throwing, I'm going to try and throw it three to four times a week. I'm actually going to go over with uh, Perry Orson, though, with his QB1. What is it, QB1? QB1 whatever it is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> go over there and throw with him when I can. And then uh, throw with, you know, a couple of the guys, Jacob August, throughout the week and, and just get ready that way. How is the new indoor facility? Because I know you guys, I guess, the players, I think, just got to move in today. If you, I know the staff moved in last week, but – from, you know, we've seen very limited uh, pictures or videos. I know Justin King and his crew have probably got something brewing for this week or very soon. For the operations um, facility? Yeah, for the end, the Ken and Cindy Long, yeah. the brand new operations facility. What's your take on? I mean, it's got to be, uh, it's got to be something pretty special, I'd imagine, huh? Oh, it is. Uh, you know, I toured through it yesterday and another day, um, Friday and yesterday, and you know, even the second time around, I'm just like, man, this is unreal. You know, they got a barber shop. <laughs> they have a recording studio. They have an arcade center, um, ping pong, pool table. The locker room's amazing. The weight room's just, goodness, I would live up there in the weight room. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, heck, even the team meeting room was, like, pretty cool to just look at. It's it's massive. The chairs are awesome. Everything about everything's just, like, goodness gracious, this is unreal. Like, the, the little details that went into this uh, into this building. I mean, I'm just – every time I go in there, I'm astounded. And I've only been there twice, but I'm sure that's not going to change. Yeah, I'm trying to find a way to see if the uh, the Spurs Up show can sneak in there with the media or just some, just some other day. <laughs> like, I just want to see it. I, I really just want to see the inside. Um, have you talked to – because I feel like you ought to talk to Coach Muschamp about it. I know there's a lot of murals inside of it uh, when you go in the team meeting rooms and the uh, position, position group meeting rooms. Have you talked to Will Muschamp about getting a, a Michael Skarnecchia mural up anywhere in the facility? I might have to pay for that. <laughs> uh, but no, I have not done that. <laughs> I think it would be well-deserved. That's all I'm saying. Um, <laughs> lastly, I Michael, appreciate that. Yeah, lastly, Michael, before I let you go, I want to switch gears from football to your uh, you know, life outside of football. Obviously, again, I, like I talked about, you're actually going to be pursuing law school. 
Um, if, if football doesn't work out for whatever reason, just talk about kind of what your plans are for life after football. Yeah, so uh, if football doesn't work out, I'm planning on going to law school. I'm thinking either between Columbia and uh, and Wake Forest. Okay. And so going to go there three years and just see how it goes. And, uh, you know, I would love to work in the Carolinas, and that's the goal. So, um, you know, uh, don't know really. I'm still waiting. I'm probably going to decide where I go to law school. Uh, you know, I can decide mm-hmm. now. And then depending on whatever happens with the NFL, I can defer a year and or however long. And so uh, I'm going to go. And then probably late March, early March, I'm going to decide. I'm going to like choose a law school and make an announcement about that. But it's going to probably be between South Carolina and Wake Forest. And then I'm going to use my finance background for law, um, maybe business law, but I'm open-minded to whatever. Very nice. Very nice. Um, speaking to the, you know, your football career, would you be open to, is it kind of NFL or bust for you or would you be open to like a career in the CFL, the new AAF that I know Steve Spurrier is coaching in? Is that, is that something that you're kind of open to all levels or is it kind of NFL or bust for you? Um, I'd be open to it. Now CFL, probably not, but the, uh, the league that Coach Spurrier is in, I would definitely, uh, I mean, I would consider it. I talk to my family about that and just see what we would think. Um, but I'm not closed minded just, you know, I'm not, mm. if I don't make the NFL, it's football is over. I'm, I would consider going to, what is it? The AAFO? Yeah. I think it's the AAF, the American uh, Alliance of American football. Yeah. So that's what I, I would consider it for sure. I, I imagine you definitely consider it pretty strongly if the opportunity to play under coach Spurrier again came up, right? I mean, that, that'd have to be pretty fun <laughs> to go back and play for him again. No doubt. And he's down in Florida. Right. Yeah. No, he's in Orlando. Yeah. I think that was the, the only way yeah. he would have taken the head coaching job they made <laughs> in Orlando. So sure enough, they got a team down there. So um, last question. Yeah. Mike, I know no, I know I, I've, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you're good. I was just saying I would definitely consider it. Yeah, for sure. So I, again, I know I've kept you long last question though, because it's very unique. Again, I've talked to Steven Garcia, Perry Orth, Connor Shaw, and they all echo the same thing, a unique fraternity, being a quarterback at South Carolina. And I don't think it matters whether you're a starter, whether you're the role that you played, obviously. It is a unique fraternity to, you know, not only be a college quarterback, an SEC quarterback, but a former South Carolina quarterback. And, again, you talked about those are guys you all communicate with. I know they were guys that all reached out to you during your career and were there if you ever needed anything. When you look back on your career, what does it mean to you to be in that unique fraternity, to not only be a South Carolina quarterback, to, but to be say, I was a quarterback under the legendary Steve Spurrier? Um, I think it's cool because you can – well, these guys, you know, they're going to be friends for life. But, you know, whenever we, we talk about old times or stories with Coach Spurrier or football stories, it's just going to be, uh, you know, great memories and great times to just laugh it up because I know – uh, Garcia and Perry and, and even Dylan, they have a lot of funny stories about Spurrier and, you know, they're just the Kiwi group. So um, being in that, that fraternity is it's definitely something cool because you're going to have those relationships for the rest of your life. Any good Spurrier must champ stories that you want to, that, that you can share? Do you, do you have any, any good ones and any like really good ones? Any really good ones? Uh, I probably only have one that was like, Pretty or any, funny with me. Or any that they won't get pissed off for you sharing on the show. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll, I'll give one. It's it's more of a shot at me. Uh, one day we were out there, and oh, man, I think I soft tossed. I kind of like uh, 
you know, I didn't want to beam it in there. It was like a drag route. And so I kind of like just put a little touch on the, on the pass and coach Spurrier comes up to me and he's like, like he's saying, what are you, what are you throwing babies out there? <laughs> I was like, I was like, yeah, cause that's exactly what I'm doing. I thought it was funny. So that was a running joke with all the QB users. Anytime I throw a ball, they're always like, Oh, you're out there throwing babies. <laughs> so, you know, I can't give any other stories. Uh, a lot of that's in house, but, oh, yeah. um, you know, I can't think of anything else that's like that funny. I mean, that wasn't that funny, but, uh, God, this is killing me. You know, when you get put on the spot, you can't think of a good story. No, no, I got no, no. I, I love it. No, I love that. I, I feel like every every story with a Steve Spurrier interaction is is golden. So we will definitely. Take oh yeah, that. he's it's, he's a funny guy. <laughs> yeah, he's a character. But Michael, really do appreciate you again taking the time, man. And uh, you know, obviously, wish you the best of luck with your pursuit of pro day, the NFL, and you know whatever else you decide to do after life. Again, I, I just definitely want to say that. I think I can speak for Gamecock Nation. We say we really do appreciate you sticking it out at South Carolina for obviously your contributions, not only on the field, but being such a humble guy and a great teammate, just a great representative of the university. So we really appreciate it. Yes, sir. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you having me on the show. Absolutely. So again, for Michael Skarnecchia and Thomas Floyd, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in and be sure to catch us next week on another episode of the Spurs Up Show. is in the air at Littleton Coin Company and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.